Chapter 6 of Mr. Wicker's Window. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is made by Arthur Pantadosi, Los Angeles, California, February the 16th, 2010. Mr. Wicker's Window. Chapter 6. Chris stood for a moment before the closed door of Mr. Wicker's study. His head was full of the story of Becky Boozer's hat, or he might have glimpsed the room beside him, for the passage stopped at this point. Beyond the passage lay the dimly glittering shop with its bow window at the far end and the door to the street beside it. He might have been able, had he not been so intent on Decky's story, to slip past the dusty bales and cases and out into... What? But Chris's head was ringing with Ned Cilia's tale, and with all the things so different and so absorbing that surrounded him. He put out his hand, knocked, and on hearing a low reply, stepped inside. The room Chris entered, with his eyes round in order to take in every new sight, was a small study. It stretched across the back of the house. The kitchen fireplace has its echo in a fireplace on the side of the wall, and facing Chris, three windows looked out onto the bleached air and apple trees, the ordered rows of the vegetable and herb garden. A final window at the end of the room, but Chris's left looked out on a little hill behind the house. Chris, without thinking, stepped forward a pace or two in order to look for the familiar ugly red and gray church at the end of Church Lane. It was not to be seen. There was only a pasture hemmed by woods and fine trees, which, in the distance where M Street should be, a roof or two. A thin voice that came from nowhere and was everywhere broke into Chris. No, my boy. The church is not yet built. That will come in seventy years. In 1860, to be exact. Confusing, is it not? Chris whipped about at the sound of the antiquarian's voice, but the, for a moment longer he could not see him, and looked towards the end of the room with interest. Mr. Wicker's study was cozy and bright, well warmed by a cheerfully burning fire. The heavy curtains drawn back now from the windows to let in the morning sun were of a fine Roman damask. The furniture consisted, as far as Chris was concerned, of antiques. Two wing chairs, covered in red leather, tacked at the edges with ends with brad-headed nails, looked invitingly comfortable. One had its back to Chris in the door, and the other was empty. Both were drawn close to the snapping logs. A grandfather clock stood in the corner between the fireplace and the first window, and gave out a steady, deep talk. Ding, dong, ding, dong. The carpet was a soft Indian rug of vine chuckster in many colors, red, blue, and gold predominating. Most surprisingly, a steep spiral staircase of polished wood came down into the room in the right-hand corner near where Chris stood, and Chris wondered for a moment if Mr. Wicker's voice had come from the top of the stair. Turning back, he saw that a desk opposite him stood between the two windows that faced the garden. It seemed very old-fashioned to Chris. No neat folded writing paper, but large, bold sheets covered in Mr. Wicker's delicate handwriting lay on the open top, with several goose-quill pens standing at the back in a penholder. Chris noticed prints of sailing ships on the walls, and candlesticks holding candles, and candle snuffers on the desk, table, and mantelpiece. A closed cupboard with carved doors stood at the far end of the room. Once again, Chris turned back to look for Mr. Wicker, and to his astonishment, 
now saw him in the chair he had thought empty a moment before. Mr. Worker, his elbows on the arms of the chair and his fingertips tucked lightly together, was watching Chris with interest and amusement. When the boys caught sight of him, Mr. Wicker nodded, smiling, and motioned Chris towards the other leather chair across from him. Good evening, my boy, said the other man. I trust you slept well. Chris slowly himself down into the offered chair. Oh, yes, thank you, sir, he replied. I don't even know how I got to bed. Mr. Wicker made a sound that seemed to indicate it did not matter. And breakfast, Mr. Wicker asked. Becky fed you? Yes, sir, and Mr. Siley, he fed me, too. Indeed. Mr. Wicker's eyebrows went up an inverted V above his dark, dark eyes. Ned Siley so early. Well, he is a loyal soul, is Mr. Siley. You shall know more of him. He fell silent, observing the boy sitting on the edge of the big chair. Mr. Wicker looked as if casually at the clothes Chris now wore, and which fitted him as though made to his measure. What he saw seemed to please the old man, for he nodded his bald head, and his wrinkles multiplied themselves across his face in a way Chris took to be his smile. At last he spoke again, as his voice was strangely gentle and kind. So kind that the forlornness Chris had momentarily forgotten that the mystery of his position, the puzzlement and lost feeling that reclaimed him instantly should he allow himself to wonder at how he could get back again into his own life and time, was reawakened by the something he heard in Mr. Wicker's voice. The tears gathered in his throat, and he had to swallow and cough several times before he could reply with any degree of clearness. Feel? Well, all right, I guess, in a way. But there's a sort of spinning in my head and my stomach uh, if I try to figure any of this out. I just don't get it. He shook his head dubiously. I feel alive all right, and the toad tasted good just now, but how in the world can all these changes come about or be? And there's something I should see to at home. All at once he needed desperately to know how his mother was that morning. He stood abruptly. If I can just go now, please. This asked politely but firmly. It's been very interesting, but I... His throat tightened up again, and he made a helpless gesture with his hand and looked toward the window, wondering if he could jump out into the flower beds and be off. Mr. Wicker's voice, soft with such authority that one did not question it, came again, and it had a healing in its sound. Sit down, Christopher, my lad, he said, and his eyes were kind, intent, and eager. We have much to talk of, you and I, but first your mind and heart shall be put at ease. Do you know who I am? Restive and anxious to be off, Chris nonetheless found it necessary to reply. You sell old stuff, that's all I know, he answered, beginning to feel a trifle surly. Mr. Ocker nodded, tapping his fingertips together. Yes, he agreed. I sell old things in your time, but now, in this time, what do you know of me? As he spoke, there was a change of tone, as if a younger man was speaking, and in spite of his impatience to get home, Chris looked up sharply. Mr. Wicker was leaning forward, and Chris felt himself unmovable under the vigor of those dark eyes. Nothing, sir. He heard himself saying, not taking his eyes from those of the men before him. I am a ship owner, Christopher, for one thing. Mr. Wicker drew a slow breath. 
our merchant trading tobacco, cotton, corn, and flour. But I am also... He paused as if to give Pris time to hear each word. I am also quite a fine magician, said Mr. Wicker. Chris leaned back, disappointed and scornful. Rabbits out of hats? he inquired. No, young man, Mr. Wicker answered with no show of annoyance. Not rabbits out of hats. That, as you would say, is for toddlers. Suppose I proved to you just how good. Go ahead, said Chris, whose only thought was still to get home, but who admired into himself a faint stir of curiosity. Watch closely, then, demanded Mr. Wicker. I have been in my twentieth-century shape so that you would recognize me. Now I shall regain my appearance of this time. Not a great change, I grant you, but there will be a difference. Watch me closely. Chris leaned forward in his chair. The room was well lit from three sides. Sunlight and firelight mingled to wash Mr. Wicker in their joined apricot glow. Added to this, the two chairs, Chris's and Mr. Wicker's, were not more than four feet apart. Chris hunched forward yet a little more to lessen the space his space and watch for any movement, however swift. He had seen magicians before, he told himself. But what he saw was so amazing that Chris's lips parted in astonishment and his eyes stared unblinking. For the tall figure of the man before him, wizened with age and wrinkled past belief, before his eyes shook off not ten or twenty years, but one hundred and fifty. It left him, while not a young man, middle-aged, a vigorous man of forty years. The face was smooth out and firm. Thick chestnut hair was caught back with a black ribbon bow. Dark eyebrows were level above the steady eyes. I don't believe it, Miss Breathe. You looked almost like a mummy before. And now... Chris, Mr. Wicker, rose from his chair, and now he stood six feet, no longer wizened, no longer feeble. Fascinating, is it not? He remarked with a sardonic smile. A good trick, do you not agree? Chris, looking at him, amazed but still incredulous, well, yes, he admitted, but maybe with makeup or something. Ah, said Mr. Wicker, and his voice was deeper and more vigorous, too. Ah, then we shall try another. See if you can find me. And before Mr. Chris's eyes, Mr. Wicker vanished into thin air. Chris looked about and got up. He looked under the chairs, under the table, behind the curtains, up the chimney, up the spiral staircase, out the windows, in short, everywhere and anywhere a man might hide, in a great many places where it was impossible for him to be. Finally, he stood in the middle of the room. You're not here, he said aloud. Oh, yes, I am, said Mr. Wicker's voice. Look on the table. Chris looked on the table. A bowl of flowers stood in the center. A small silver tray with a finely blown glass and a round-bellied silver pitcher of water stood at the other's side. A few weather-bound books were all else to be seen, except, if one could count that, a blue-bottle fly that buzzed slid on the flowers and buzzed again. It's not fair! Chris challenged aloud. You've got some trick hiding place. You're just not here. Yes, I am, came the voice. I'm within reach of your hand, Christopher, Mr. Wicker told him, and I will reappear in whatever part of the room you wish. Choose. 
Chris looked around him and then pointed to the end of the window. There, he said, by the window. There's nothing anywhere around it. Come back there. Very well, sounded Mr. Wicker's deep new voice. The old bottle fly buzzed towards from the table, flew directly at Chris's nose, hit it, flew around his head, and bumped into his ear. Darn that old fly, Chris muttered and made a grab at it. The blue bottle buzzed towards the window, swirled about, hit Chris on the nose again with remarkable stupidity, and blundered off once more towards the window. Chris ran after it, saw it on a pane of glass, swooped down and felt the angry wings and heard the enraged buzz in his cup and zzzz. Before he could squeeze the fly or open his hand to let it free, Mr. Wicker stood before him, and Chris found himself holding onto the tail of Mr. Wicker's coat. And what did you think of that trick? asked Mr. Wicker, smiling. And of Mr. Wicker's window, chapter 6, 